Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host, Aaron, aka the Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me on my left for today's incredibly special episode of TCCP is none other than Kent County Cricket Club icon, Daniel Bell Drummond. So, Deebs, first things first, mate, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome you on to the County Cricket Podcast for a chat about all things county cricket and, of course, the mighty white horse of Kent. I've got to ask, mate, how's your day been so far? What an intro. Um, no, thanks for that. My day's been very good. Had had a nice training session. Um, down Having some brilliant weather at the minute. So, no, it was enjoyable. Uh, had a good session, bit of gym. So, yeah, living the dream. Can't complain. And you, you well yourself? I am indeed, mate. Yeah, as you mentioned, the weather is absolutely gorgeous, isn't it? I mean, we, we said this before the podcast started, but... It's almost ironic, isn't it? The fact that this is Kent's bye week in what has been one of the, the better weeks weather-wise throughout the entire summer. But it's just nice to have the sun out, isn't it, in particular after such a, a rain and, and dreary-filled August. I know, it's a weird one, sort of sitting indoors uh, watching the sunshine. But no, whatever whatever I'm doing, I'll definitely enjoy the sunshine. And um, yeah, it has been a sticky summer really with the weather, but Hopefully it's not too late and September we'll see a lot more sun. Fingers crossed. Super September. That's why the sun's coming out. It knows that there's a massive conclusion to the end of the summer of 2023. And yeah, fingers crossed that this good weather does stay here in the UK. But Deebs, aside from the weather and aside from the 2023 season, which I have absolutely no doubt we'll probably talk about at some point in today's podcast, to kickstart proceedings, I wanted to take it all the way back to the origins of the Daniel Bell Drummond cricketing tale. So what were your first ever memories of cricket, either playing or watching this simply sensational sport? Wow, going back a while. So I reckon my first memories were probably watching West Indies and England play um, on the TV with my parents, um, both Jamaican. So yeah, very... They loved their cricket and, um, yeah, it was the only way for me to go, really. And, uh, yeah, I just remember throwing the ball against the house I grew up in against the stairs and the landing and uh, trying to hit it back, just playing against myself, basically. So, yeah, they're the two memories of me sort of having anything to do with cricket. And I was extremely young, probably three, four years old from what I remember. But, um, no, it's it's been great for me and my career. But, yeah, those are my first memories. Well, it's a lovely route into the game, and you mentioned your dad there, Percival, obviously had a massive influence, didn't he, in terms of that early stages and the early developments of your cricketing story, and you mentioned the West Indies and England as well, and I always love to touch upon this, because family aside, obviously the professional game has a massive influence as well, so in terms of those early days, aside from your parents, who in the world of, of maybe domestic or international cricket did you look up to, did you have any influences, any idols, any role models in those formative years per se, who you, you try to look up to in a way? Yeah, for sure. They were both from England and the West Indies. I'd say growing up in England and obviously being born here, but watching, I used to love watching Marcus Drascothic, um, Kevin Peterson. Those are the two idols for me, um, especially in that 2005 Ashes. That was exceptional. Um, and then West Indies-wise, I used to love watching Brian Lara bat and um, Chris Gale going on from that. It's weird, I've named three left-handers there and I'm right-handed. But uh, yeah, I'd say those four were my favourites. Um, just used to really love the way they played and uh, the, the kind of the ball striking they all had. Um, or something that stuck with me but yeah always had many different idols but they're the four that spring to mind growing up. Fair enough four wonderful idols as well and uh, you mentioned Chris Gale goodness me I'm an RCB fan right so for for my childhood he was the one him and AB de Villiers those two batting together at the Chinaswami Stadium in Bengaluru was absolutely unbelievable and then obviously as a Warwickshire fan Brian Charles Lara not a bad overseas player for the Bairn Ragged staff of Warwickshire County Cricket Club, one of the greatest to ever do it. The seventh leading test run scorer of all time, one of the greatest ever from the Caribbean. And yeah, what a fantastic role model. Along with the England players as well, Marcus Drascothic and Kevin Peterson, four excellent choices 
to say the least there, Debs. And just to, to touch upon that even further, if you could have a, a dream net session with just one of those players, who would you choose and why in that scenario? Wow, you put me on the spot there. I've I've been lucky enough to talk to Shaskothic a fair bit. Well, not a fair bit, but get pick his ideas on batting. So I've, I'll kind of put him to one side because I've half done that, um, which has been great. So I, I think I'd choose Brian Lara. Um, the other two are obviously great cricketers in their own right. But yeah, some of the things that Brian Lara could do, the way the opposition spoke of him was like he was a genius who just decided when he was going to score runs and when he was on, you couldn't stop him no matter what he tried. So for me, the genius with Lara um, stands out. But yeah, Gail is probably one of the most powerful cricketers ever and hit sixes for fun. And and KP, I think, was a generational talent and completely changed the way, I believe, how test cricket was played throughout that 2000, the, the early and mid-2000s. Um, the way he went after bowlers and the entertainment side of it um, was something I'll never forget. But have to go Brian Lara. Great choice. Again, I'm nodding along in agreement. The listeners won't be able to see that. But yeah, the Prince for a reason. One of the greatest to ever do it. And I wasn't there to, to witness the 1994 season, but over 2,000 runs in a single county championship campaign. Obviously, the 501 out against Durham stands out above everything else. But he also averaged 89 with the bat over the course that summer. An absolute legend in every single sense of the word. And yeah, to be honest, Deeps, I tend to agree. Brian Charles Lara, what a player, what a man, what an incredible talent. And in terms of those four picks, all batters, right? So I'm guessing that from an early age, you always wanted to have that flair, that elegance, that, that talent, that passion with the bats as opposed to the ball. But I know that in your early days, Deeps, you also did do a little bit of bowling. And we've seen that in recent years for Kent as well. So. Did you also have any icons or idols in the bowling department as well that you tried to emulate in those early years alongside the test batters? Yeah, I, it's a very good question. I, I always did everything as a kid, um, like most kids do. Um, I, I weirdly bowled leg spin up until about 14, 15. And then I just gave up at school. I, I think I had a growth spurt and just couldn't land it. So um and I wasn't too bad at bowling seam. So seam came along fairly late compared to my batting. Um, and then injury-wise, I couldn't really handle it. I've tried to pick it up again. been going okay, but again, it's quite tough um, with my body at the moment. But in terms of idols, not as early. I think I just, being a kid, enjoyed the celebrations more. I enjoyed Fiddle Edwards's celebrations, apart from when he did it to me when I got to play against him. Um, and yeah, I, I, I love Dale Stain, um, sort of watching him um, clean guys up, the swing he got. And he wasn't a big, a tall, fast bowler. He wasn't one of these six foot seven sort of monsters you see. He's just a very normal looking guy who could bowl 95 miles an hour. So he definitely stood out for me sort of in my teenage years. It's weird having played against every single one of these guys, apart from Lara, um, obviously, but yeah, I think Dale Stain for me was... I, I enjoyed the pace, um, watching quick bowlers. Um, definitely, as a few, I enjoyed watching golf, sort of early 2000s, late 90s, going back that far. But yeah, for me, batting was the main thing. But I always just bowled to keep myself in the game. And I wasn't too bad at it growing up. So it was a nice change from, um, from fo- focusing solely on batting. Fair enough. And again, I love those choices because Fidel Edwards played for the Bears very briefly. Also, more famously played for Hampshire, didn't he, in County Cricket? And then Dale Stain. Again, we talk about goats, legends, idols, whatever you want to describe him as, but 439 test wickets for South Africa. Again, an absolute titan of seam bowling. And you mentioned there, Deeps, the fact that you face both of them. Who is actually more difficult to face? Because with Stain, you've got the, the sheer speed, but... Fidel's sling is, and he had that funny action which kind of made the ball skid on a little bit further. So out of those two, who is more difficult to face when you did actually oppose them, per se? Yeah, I think um, it's a difficult one because fast bowlers can click it up and down. Um, and facing Stain, 
he had the new ball and he was mainly trying to swing it. So it's probably bowling mid eighties, which is still very fast, but it's he's also dialing it back a little bit, just trying to nick you off, things like that. So I didn't find Stain too bad purely because he was just doing the role he had to play. And um, I know that, yeah, when he can crank it up, he's a completely different animal. But um, I'd say Fidel, I face more, and he's there's been more tricky periods with him. Uh, purely just um, situational, really. Uh, Fidel, yeah, when the ball starts reversing or when he smells blood, he can really start to run in and um, and yeah, hurl it down as quick as he can. So. And yeah, it's it's a weird action, as we all know, very slingy. And um, yeah, the the way he slings it out, the ball kind of comes out, the seam comes out sideways. So almost as it pitches, it gathers pace. So the amount of bounces he's bowled over keepers' heads, just things like that. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty extreme. And the way he sprints in is like a Olympic athlete. So yeah, it's it's very tough facing Fidel. He. He definitely has the bad ball in him because um, he's quite skiddy and uh, you feel you can score off him. But when he's on his day, um, it's pretty horrible to face, to say the least. I can imagine it is. I mean, any bowler like that. Another one, for example, would be Lasith Malinga. You know, on his day, he'd been an absolute nightmare to face. And yeah, it's interesting too to hear that then. Yeah, just that slingy action. The fact that the ball does almost come on you a little bit faster than you expect definitely does make him a tricky customer to try and deal with. And in terms of the art of batting deeps, I wanted to touch upon this because in numerous interviews, your passion for batting really does come across quite superbly. So in terms of the art form itself, in terms of batting, what do you love about batting the most? Is it that battle against your opponent? Is it the types of shots that you can play? Is it the fact that you can single-handedly dominate proceedings and change the narrative of a game? What is it about batting that almost motivates you to continue this years after you started picking up the, the cricket bat? Yeah, I, that's a very good question. I think it's just in my blood, really. Like like I said, growing up from the age of three, just wanting to do it and, and loving every minute of it. I think I've been able to get back to it for the most part this season and hopefully I'll finish off well. But I think just run scoring for me, um, it's definitely something as a junior player I was known for just scoring runs, scoring hundreds at a very young age, um, however, whichever manner it came. And then I reckon around, I went to Millfield and the training facility is awesome, coach is brilliant, and I developed very quickly and scored, started to develop some nice shots and was quite a good looking player. And I think coming through sort of under-19s into the professional game, I was seen as a shot player, um, someone who who timed the ball well, could hit, who, who could hit good balls for four. And it's weird because that was, that was kind of a small window of my junior career, but I found that groove. But going back to the basics for me, it was just scoring runs. And however that came about, um, I just wanted to do that. And it kind of reminded me of that this year when I got in in a few of my games, just wanting to not get out and putting a massive price on my wicket. So I think for me, that's what sort of gets me out of bed is run scoring, however I do it. Um, and no one's perfect. I still should have scored a lot more in my career. But um, yeah, for me, when I'm on song and when I'm thinking clearly, it's just about scoring runs and making it as difficult as possible for the bowlers to get me out. Well, you've certainly done that this season, as we'll discuss with one particular knock against Northamptonshire over the course of the summer of 2023. But I, I really like the answer. So it's the, the actual run score in itself. It's the volume of runs which acts as the motivation. And in terms of the flip side, Deeps, because unfortunately the world of, of the batter is very difficult, isn't it? Of course, you can have fantastic days. You can score your centuries. You can have your match-winning knocks. But... You can also have some really poor patches of form, can't you? You can have consecutive ducks. You can have lots of low scores. It's a very, very unforgiving position to be in as a cricketer when you do have those low moments. So uh, I suppose on the flip side of the favourite aspects, what do you say are the tougher aspects associated with being a specialist bat? Yes, the complete opposite. I'd say when the runs aren't flowing um, and, yeah, you, you can't put your finger on why. And I think any professional batsman knows some of it is down to luck. You can play a miss and other days you might have nicked those deliveries or 
or get a Jaffa or whatever. So it's definitely something you have to take with a pinch of salt and you can't score runs every day. So, and the older I've got, I've, everyone knows it, but I've learned that and uh, I try, I don't take it to heart as much as I did as a young player. Um, but yeah, the tough days are definitely when you're missing out um, and your team's struggling as well. And they're obviously they rely on the batters to put the runs on the board. And, and for me, that's, that's when I feel like you're not, I'm not doing my job, but like I say, um, we're humans, you're going to fail. So that's very normal. But um, yeah, I, I give it my all as most batsmen do, of course. But um, yeah, I'd say the toughest bits is, is getting out for lower scores or not being able to, to kick on and win, win matches for your team. Absolutely. And again, it's completely understandable. It's something which has cropped up time and time again on this podcast. It's almost the, <laughs> well, it's the, the lack of runs, isn't it? It's the lack of currency in particular in an environment like county cricket where there isn't certainty about your place in the team, let alone your place as a professional cricketer. The fact is, this is a finite career, isn't it? And if you do have a poor season in the final year of your contract, who knows, that could be it. Your time as a professional cricketer could be done and dusted. So that is very understandable. And in terms of those periods where maybe things aren't going your way and you do have a few poor scores, how do you maintain your composure? How do you get back to your best, Steve? Do you have any strategies, any coping mechanisms per se that you you implement during those tough times to get you back into your groove? Yeah, there's a few things for sure. Um, definitely speaking to my coaches um, in terms of the batting coaches or any people I've been using um, outside of Kent and just going back there, making sure your game's in good order. Um, because a lot of the time it is, it, just might be tricky wickets you're playing on or one or two errors, mental mistakes, which happens. Um, but there might not be that much wrong with your game. So it's just about trying to stay as confident as possible and, um, and yeah, making sure when your chance comes to take it with both hands because, yeah, like, like we said before, county cricket can be tough in its own way. Um, and, yeah, there's different pressures. So it's about trying to remain as present as possible and... Um, and yeah, making sure you cash in when it's your day because yeah, there's plenty of days where it won't be. And statistically, I think even the best batters in the world succeed one in three, one in four times. So it just shows you the numbers we're dealing with. And um, it's, you're, you're going to fail, but just making sure um, when it's your day, you make it count. Absolutely. And I love the fact that you mentioned the numbers because I've mentioned this stat on the podcast before, but... Sir Alistair Cook, one of the greatest to ever grace the English game, scored a century in every seven test innings. So you think that one test innings, he gets all the glory, all the plaudits. The other six, he hasn't reached three figures. And he could be out for two runs, he could be out for 20 runs. But it's all about those those big knocks that we remember. And in terms of, of staying present and staying in the moment, again, how do you achieve that? Because it's a lot easier said than done, isn't it? In particular, when things aren't going your way, because we as humans have a tendency to overthink, don't we? We think, could we do this better? Could we change this? Could we do that? So how do you maintain that composure and maintain your, your presence, I suppose, in the game of cricket? Yeah, it's tough. Um, I'm not going to stand here and say, I oh, just carry on, pretend, not, pretend nothing's happening. Because that, as you said, runs a professional batsman's currency. So no, it's never ideal when you're not in form. But you've just got to keep believing in yourself, keep working hard in the nets. Um, I've been through many good periods and tough periods of my career. I'm 13 years in now, so I've seen both sides and hopefully will continue to do so. Um, but yeah, I think you can't go far wrong from making sure your game's right. You can, for me, you can have the best mentality in the world, but if you're falling over straight deliveries or if you're not lining up correctly, you'll continue to to get low scores and there's been times where I haven't felt great um, or I've been doubting myself and but my technique's been good and I've made good decisions the ball's hit the middle of the bat and you're away you've got a few runs on the board so I'm still working on certain things but I think end of the day it comes down to having a solid technique to keep the bad balls out and to score off sorry to keep the good balls out and to score off the bad ones um, no matter you're not good, we're all human we're going to have good and bad days but um yeah, I think just having a technique that can 
support you, especially when the wickets are tough and um, and the pressure's on, and just yeah, making sure that as I said before, you can you can cash in when you get in and when it's your day. One hundred percent. And Deeps, before we touch upon your journey through the Kent Academy system, and we touch upon your time with the White Horse, we have mentioned the word pressure a lot on this podcast so far because it is something which is a common occurrence, isn't it? We mention all the different pressures that are associated with life as a county cricketer. For you personally, what do you say is the biggest pressure that you have, not just only on your wicket, but I suppose on your batting? Is there one particular pressure which stands out above all of the others in a way? Um, I think there's many different types, but uh, yeah, other than the run scoring side of thing, it's definitely county cricket. There's obviously a lot of games, um, and it can quite a small squad, rightly so. We all want to play every game, and I think when you're not informed, going from game to game, you don't have quite have the time to work on things or maybe get practice outside because of the travelling and the the schedule. I think that can be the toughest, and it works both ways. When when I'm in form, it's brilliant because you you just travel three hours down the road and you go again. Um, so you carry that with you. But I'd say. Uh, the the schedule and switching formats for me are the biggest pressures um, because I I bat quite differently in both forms. So, um, yeah, I'm still trying to get to the bottom of uh, switching formats um, successfully and still remaining consistent in both. So I'd say for me, outside of the obvious, I'd say the two biggest things are the schedule from both the amount of cricket and the switching of formats. That's absolutely fair enough. And again, very interesting that you mentioned the switching between the formats because, again, that's come up a lot on this podcast, but then certain cricketers don't actually find it that bad. So, for example, Sam Hain is a great example of this. He said he doesn't find the switch between formats that bad. But uh, again, for different cricketers, it is different. And in terms of that switch, what do you find the most difficult aspect then? Is it the fact that you have to change something technical? Is it the mentality? Is it the approach during the game? What is it about switching between red ball and white ball crickets, which does present those particular difficulties? Yeah, you, you touched on a great point because Sam Hain is excellent. I played with him a little bit and um, and I definitely admire the way he plays. And that's one thing I've tried to learn off him, actually, is he's very he's very similar in both forms. He, like in white ball cricket, his attacking shots are just an extension of his defensive game and he bats in a similar mould, just obviously ups the intensity from what I've seen. Or he's just a freak who uh, who can do whatever he needs to do at whatever point. Um, but for me, I think in white ball cricket, I tend to hang back a little bit and I look for my the width and look to free my hands. But in white in red ball cricket, it's tougher to do that because more bowling is pitched up. Obviously, you want to protect your front pad and you worry more about nick offs. So for me, it's quite different. I try and come forward a lot more in the four-day stuff um, so I can get into, I shouldn't say bad habits, but I can, if I've been playing 2020 a lot, I might not get into the ball as much when we come into four days and vice versa. When we're playing four days, I'm very correct and I'm not sort of trying to create room for myself and I can hit the field a fair bit or or little things like that or my swing isn't going. Um, so yeah, there's. I think that's what, has made me very good in each when when I'm form. Um, the extremes have been awesome for me in either form because I've been able to to get a rhythm and and yeah to be able to to find a happy medium and um, and perform. So it's something. Hopefully, I'm I'm getting to the bottom of it this season. Up till now, I've shown that I can do well in both. Um, and because I've worked on a few things technically. So, yeah, hopefully I'm getting to the bottom of that, but always trying to learn and improve as cricketers. Well, it's all you can do, isn't it? It's to, to quote the old adage, every day's a score day. Every single day you can improve, you can get better, you can strive to be an improved version of yourself. And, Debs, I think that we've, we've reached the point of the podcast where we have to discuss your time at Kent County Cricket Club because there's been so many wonderful moments, there really have, and we'll probably touch upon a number of them over the course of this recording but before we we jump the gun and get to that stage I suppose we have to start at the origins again of your Kent cricketing story so 
how did that opportunity first materialize? How did the the three-year-old who was picking up that bat, playing with that bat and ball against the wall at home, ultimately go on to represent the white horse of Kent County Cricket Club? So, yeah, I, I play for my local club at the time, which is Catford Wanderers. Um, it's on the edge of sort of Kent and Surrey, but it's in the Kent League. And um, yeah, I also used to play for Greenwich District. Um, it should have been Lewisham, but the coach at Catford was also the coach of Greenwich, so he took me across. And um, and yeah, I, I got picked up from Kent from there, um, under nine cricket. I think Surrey called my parents about three, four weeks after Kent did, but thankfully um, I was taking the hour and a half journeys to Canterbury instead of the half an hour ones to the Oval, um, which I'm sure my parents... Yeah, weren't too happy about, but um, yeah, so I got in Kent under nines, under tens, played all the way through, got in the academy um, under 14s. I went to Millfield in between that time, so I wasn't, I played obviously in the summer for Kent, but I barely did any winter stuff with them um, from about 12 to 18, 13 to 18, but um, was always represented Kent in the summers and, and then yeah, signed professionally. 17 um going into my last year at school um i'd had a good season with england 19s and um and a very good season with the kent second team so no it was great to put pen to paper as a 17 year old and um and yeah made my debut the following summer uh, against loughborough uni and got 80 in that game which was awesome and then yeah i haven't haven't really looked back from there like i say there's been a lot of up and downs but um yeah, 2011 was my debut, and since then it's been strictly Kent. And uh, I have had higher honours, but um, yeah, county-wise, I've loved every minute of it through the good and the bad times. And um, yeah, it makes it sweeter winning with Kent when I've grown up with all these guys. I've played with Sam Billings from the age of eight as well. Um, so yeah, there's quite a few guys watching Joe Denley come through. He's a bit older than me, but remember coming in at pre-season as a 13-year-old with the academy and he was a young pro then. So, no, there's been some great memories. It's quite tough because I always take things day by day and I'm desperate to perform every day. So I sometimes don't look back and cherish, or at the time, cherish these things. But even talking about it now, it's some great memories. And I have put a lot of work in with Kent and uh, they've been great to me. So, only 30, still a long time left, hopefully. But um, yeah, it's been a great career so far. I was about to say, fingers crossed the career isn't ending anytime soon, Deeps, because exactly. we'd rather enjoy watching you in county cricket. <laughs> I mean, I certainly do. Maybe not so much against the Bears, because you do have a tendency to score some big runs against my county, but you're an absolute delight to watch, and we'll have to discuss some of those highlights in due course. But before we discuss your pro time at Kent... Just before we talk about that, I did just want to touch upon Millfield because they had a massive role in terms of your development in those early days. So what was it about Millfield in particular which set you on the right path in the game of county cricket? Millfield was everything. I mean, I think it was the biggest development for me, really, going there year seven, year eight, coming out as an 18-year-old. That's the main kind of years for me. And um, the coaching there was exceptional. Still in touch with Richard Ellison and Mark Davis, um, both of my two main coaches there. Um, they were brilliant for me, looked after me like a son. Um, and yeah, I think there's so many things. Just number one, the facilities are unbelievable. Um, training there is better than most county facilities, really. Um, and also the standard of cricket. We always played against county academies growing up there we didn't even play too many schools we because the standard was so good and I was always around other brilliant cricketers playing England under 15s with two other Milford guys um, and yeah I think everyone in the team played county cricket or above uh, for the age groups when I was in the first team um, there's so many guys have represented first class teams so for me it was everything and um, and yeah I was glad to go there and glad my parents could afford me the opportunity to do that um and yeah I'd I'd say the two main things though with the standard of cricket and amongst your peers you always had to to prove a point and 
try and be as good, if not better, than your teammates, just so you could represent the team and um, the rest would take care of itself. But yeah, it was massive for me. And um, it definitely has been one of the biggest reasons why I am the player I am and who I am. 100%. So again, that's come up in, in numerous interviews over the past. So quite clearly, it did have a massive role in terms of your developments in those early stages. And in terms of the next step, aside from Millfield, we've got to talk about that pro contracts at Kent because, as you mentioned, Kent have been almost an ever-presence in your life since the age of about seven. It's quite incredible, actually, how much of an impact they've had on your life, Deep. So what was it like after putting in all of those metaphorical blood, sweat, tears through all the good times, all the bad times, through the academy, through the age group systems, to sign that contract and be a first eleven cricketer for Kent County Cricket Club? It was brilliant. Um, like you said, I've, I've been here since seven years old. And um, yeah, to sign my first contract 10 years later was awesome. Um, Paul Farbrace was the head coach then. He he had a massive... Um, a massive part with my upbringing and uh, and and coaching me through the academy. Um, so yeah, it was great signing with Ken. It felt like a family. I mean, there was a lot of players I knew at the time: Adam Ball, um, Sam Billings, all these kind of guys, Matt Coles, um, who I played junior cricket with. So it didn't feel like the biggest step up because I played twos with everyone, and and um, I was always around at pre-season before I would go back to school. So um, it was it was a great day. I remember I always wore my bell drumming top everywhere. Um, this is the first time I had my name on my back. Um, and yeah, it was a great feeling. Felt felt awesome. But it's weird. I, I had a weird confidence as a as a kid. I playing England nineteens, two, three years up. So I did naturally think that this is the next step. I always kind of expected it and I'd scored the runs that justify me signing so no while it was a dream come true I I felt I deserved to be there at that point and um and yeah I I'd only known everything to be good in my cricket career at that point so it was just the next step in uh in a in a very enjoyable career it certainly has been and let's just say you've definitely taken your opportunity over the course of these years days it's been an absolute pleasure to watch you don the the white horse of Kenton's in terms of your debut, you've already got the score absolutely bang on, by the way. I was going to ask you if you remembered your score, 80 against Loughborough, so I don't need to ask that question. But in terms of walking out onto that field and representing your boyhood club in a first-class fixture, you think of all the history associated with Kent County Cricket Club. You think of the countless legends of this game who have represented that badge, represented that club and played for this county side. How momentous of an occasion was that for you to step out onto that field and represent Kent for the very first time? Yeah, it was amazing. Um, it was a half-term at school and I remember being able to go back and play and it was such a great feeling. It, it, like I say, I knew most of the guys that have played. So we played quite a young team. So a lot of the players I'd been playing with in the second team. So it didn't feel too much of a difference but obviously yeah knowing it was a first class game it added that extra pressure and that extra enjoyment and um and yeah I just carried on my form that I had earlier in the summer or earlier in the season and um and was was thankful that I could get a very well played 80 runs but yeah it, it felt weird it, it still felt like a second team game I think Simon Willis um and Farbrace were in charge and I mean they both helped sort of develop me coming up from 10 years old or whatever so it really it couldn't have felt more comfortable considering it was a first class debut I'd say uh, my 40 over well list day debut was probably the one that really stood out the most in terms of the step up and the the people around me and the players I played against um, I got 40 I think at New Road against Worcester um, and yeah, for me, that was the biggest. I'd come from England under 19s, whizzed up to New Road the next day. Or, and yeah, for me, that was just as big a moment having Van Yarsfeld one side and Geraint Jones, all these big names. Um, and they were backing me, telling me to go out and play my game. So there's definitely different moments in my career. And those two definitely were the biggest for me walking out for Kent in um, 
the different formats respectively. Well, they are massive moments, aren't they? When we mention the, the amount of effort that goes in to get that contract in the first place and then for it to bear fruit, for you to walk out onto that pitch making your first-class debut, your list day debut, your T20 debut, it's absolutely massive. And this might be a tremendously difficult question, Debs, but just looking back on your time at Kent so far, would they be the highlights or something in the years that followed maybe surpass them? Because obviously in terms of the initial stages, they'll be massive, won't they? Representing your club for the very first time, all of the, the pride associated with those moments last with you for the rest of your career, let alone your life. So would you say that they've been maybe the biggest highlights or have there been ones in the years that followed which have maybe overtaken them per se? Um it's a tough one because at the, at the time it's obviously your biggest highlight. But um, yeah, as things go on, you dream bigger, you want more as life goes. So I, I think I'd have to separate them. Um, I'm sure if you'd ask anyone, they would have been the most proud of me wearing the Kent badge for the first time in professional cricket. But for me personally, um, probably I'd say when I played at my best has been my and I produced the best results has, has been my most proud moments. Um, definitely this year, getting the 300 um, against North Hans and then scoring 100 against Australia. Sort of eight years ago now, time flies. Doesn't feel that long ago. Um, and and also winning the blast with Kent uh, two years ago now, I think. So I'd say they've been my three biggest moments um, of my Kent career for sure. Well, let's pick those apart one by one because I did want to touch upon each and every single one of those moments, if I may. So starting first and foremost with that century against Australia because that really was a watershed moment, wasn't it? In terms of your cricket, that was a case where everything went right. It was an incredible knock. I believe it was Ryan Harris's last game, wasn't it? For Australia as well in first-class yes. cricket or yeah, in the longest format. So again, that's that's something under your belt. You can say that you faced Ryan Harris, an excellent bowler for the for the baggy greens. But in terms of that game, what can you remember? Because all of a sudden, you started making national headlines. As a result of that, people really started taking stock of your cricket ability. So what can you remember from that fateful day in Canterbury? Yeah, it was it was an awesome day to look back on. I I genuinely remember waking up probably partly scared of Mitchell Johnson um, as a 20-year-old or whatever. But no, genuinely, I just wanted, I was on a pair, actually. So I just said, please, just get me off the mark in the second innings. Um, that's all I'm asking for. And then, yeah, I came out to bat. The wicket was very good. Uh, a lovely wicket to bat on. Had some pace and carry as well. And uh, I got off the mark, was playing nicely. And then I think Johnson bounced me. Um, I remember fending it off in a horrible position. And uh, I think Chris Rogers was at short leg and said something to me about being scared or whatever. And I just thought, right, you've got to get out of this this mindset that, yeah, you're, it's an honour to be here. Like, let's go, like fight or flight. And um, just remember from there, just being the freest I've ever been, um, the shots I was playing. Yeah, I couldn't have asked for a better day, but it's weird. Facing someone as quick as Mitchell Johnson, it made everyone else feel that bit slower. Facing Siddle and Harris and Mitchell Marsh, um, who in their own right are heavy, quick bowlers, especially at the time with Siddle and Harris. Um, and I just remember just being in a completely different mindset. And um, and yeah, just scoring free, I wasn't even trying to go quicker than a runner ball. Obviously, they kept the field up because they were winning the game, but I don't think I've, I don't, I'm not trying to surpass that for freeness and how well I've played. Um, but yeah, some of the shots I was able to pull off of very good balls as well. Um, it was definitely something I'll always remember. And uh, getting to three figures with a six, I think, um, was, yeah, one of the biggest highlights of my career. I can certainly imagine it was, and what a way to bring up the three figures as well with a big six. Doesn't get any better than that against a top quality Australia team, which... Yeah, in the previous Ashes, Mitchell Johnson and co had absolutely demolished us, haven't they? In uh, in Australia, goodness me, that was a rough one, 2013-14. So, again, a great bowling attack to really cut your teeth against. And, Deeves, this might be a very difficult question, but I, I did allude to it beforehand, that all of a sudden, as a result of this, 
yes, in the past you've been Wisden Schools Cricketer of the Year in 2011, and there would have been some attention surrounding that, but in hindsight and retrospect, do you think the additional pressures and expectations off the back of that knock against the Australians actually helped or hindered your cricket in the years that followed? How do you view that as a concept, I suppose? Because at the same time, it's a wonderful knock. It really is. It's a watershed moment in your career. But the the white noise starts to creep in, doesn't it? In particular, from the outside, you get people that's all of a sudden saying, you should be playing for England, you should be doing this, this, this. And when things don't go your way, obviously that noise multiplies. So looking back on that, do you see that, that watershed moment as as a help or a hindrance in your wider cricket story? Um, definitely is a massive help. Um, I'd say in terms of my career going after that, I had a very good winter. I got on the England Lions uh, that winter. I had a brilliant 2016 the year after that. I think averaging nearly above 50 in all forms and getting back onto the England Lions. So it definitely was a massive help and uh, helped me get on the England Lions that winter. Um, and then I'd say going forwards, um, sort of 2017, this is the big, the big thing that gets me with my career because I'll never take it back. I've had an excellent time up to now. Um, but the big thing that gets me is the kind of white and Red Bull split. Um, so in 2017 and 18, I didn't do very well in Red Bull, but I had two brilliant years in white ball cricket. But um, it just felt like... Uh, Daniel's kind of dropped off a little bit, but if you'd taken a purely white ball player, you would have seen the numbers and thought they were excellent. Um, and then 2019 came around, I still was top five, top five run scorers in Div 1 um, in 2019, but that was more from the middle order. But um, yeah, it's been a tricky one. I think in 2017-18, a lot of, I look back at a lot of things, I tried to tinker a lot, always want to become a better player and I tried to change sometimes a bit too much and also I'm not one to throw excuses out there but some of the county wickets were shocking um if you look at that year in 2018 I think Matt Henry took 70 odd wickets at 11 or something ridiculous Darren Stevens we all know as a goat in county cricket um and a part of that is cleaning up at Canterbury uh during that time so I feel like there are a lot of reasons why I haven't played for England. I still believe there's time. But um, yeah, I feel like um, there's a lot of different things. I've always been very good in both forms. but And in a way, a lot of the players I'm compared to on the circuit, they're not as good as me in white ball cricket or vice versa. Some aren't as good as me at red ball. So um, it's it's been one of those things. I didn't quite, um, like I say, 2017-18 really wasn't my best years in Red Bull cricket and uh, that's kind of taken the hits, made me take the hits since. But um, no, I feel last year I had a very good year, average 44 in Division 1. Um, and yeah, hopefully this year I can finish off doing well um, after my big score early in the year. But yeah, I have I have been inconsistent at times and I think that's what's hurt me the most. But going back to your question, I don't, I think 2015 against the Aussies was a brilliant stage for my career and um, something that definitely gave me confidence and helped push me forward for a few like A-team tours and, and things like that. Well, I'm really glad to hear that because in the past, the reason why I brought up that question was because knocks like that can also have a negative influence in the long run. So to hear that it didn't is absolutely wonderful, Debs. And again, it was a great knock. And talking of another exceptional knock, this time for the England Lions, just while we're on that vein of questioning. We have to talk about that partnership with Ben Duckett. I can't believe that I haven't even mentioned that, but at the time, that was a world record stance. So what can you remember about that particular match and that particular partnership? Yeah, it was a great game. Um, it was a high, high scoring series, that series, I remember. Um, and yeah, I hadn't quite got a big score myself. So it was awesome to back with Ben. I went to Milford with Ben for like a little two-year period before he moved to to Northampton. So I knew him as a kid and it was great that we could break break a record together at the time. Um, he rightly so got a lot of the plaudits with his, with his exceptional double hundred. Um, but no, it was great to be a part of that partnership and to do it at Canterbury as well was 
was awesome. So, um, no, it's something I will always remember. And, uh, yeah, it was a really great day. Certainly was. And for those who don't know what we're actually alluding to, 367 runs for the second wicket. Absolutely unbelievable. It's the joint third highest list day partnership in the history of our sport. So, again, that really is another highlight, Deeps. And this time from a team perspective, we've got to talk about 2021 because that blast win was something special, wasn't it? Let's face it, and in particular, <laughs> that catch or that piece of fielding from Jordan Cox on the boundary is something which will just be imprinted on the minds of, of county cricket fans forever. So in terms of, of that moment, that final moment on finals day in 2021, where Kents are named as the champions, the victors of the T20 blast, what was that like? And what were the celebrations like after that monumental occasion for the club? Yeah, it was an, a brilliant day. Um, yeah, I, we hadn't had any... I've never won silver with Kent before that moment. And uh, I think the last time was 2007. So, yeah, it was something that we really needed to to do and tick off. And um, it, we couldn't have had a better year, really. We we came top in the, in the group stage. I think the most nerve-wracking bit for some of us was playing that last quarter-final. And um, in the three previous, all the other South teams had booked their place at finals day. So we really didn't want to come first in the group and be the only South team not there. And then, yeah, the day itself was was a great day. Um, obviously beating Sussex in the quarter, in the semis and was grateful to contribute there. And then, yeah, the final was excellent. We were in a sticky spot at one stage and upstepped Jordan Cox. Um, brilliant young cricketer. It was definitely his final. And uh, yeah, the innings to get us up to a above par score, really, as it turned out. And then, yeah, the best catch I think I've ever seen on a cricket pitch. Um, well, he didn't even catch it. But uh, yeah, it was it was unbelievable. And it, he's one of those guys. He really turns up for the cameras when, it, when the going gets tough. He... He turns into Superman, probably seen him every Sky Sports game, direct hits, catches galore. And that's what Coxie's about. But uh, no, it was an awesome day. And uh, it meant so much to everyone at Kent. As I've said before, it's quite a family club and people have been going around the country supporting us for 10, 20 years. So no, for us to, to get a trophy then after being the best team in the competition before that as well was, was great reward for everyone. It certainly was, and you mentioned about those near misses in the past. You think back to 2018 with the One Day Cup, for example, and the loss against Hampshire. It had been a long time coming. The fact that Kent hadn't lifted this trophy since 2007 was a massive talking point down in the southeast, and yet to to do it in that fashion, and it was a wonderful finals day. It really was. The semi against Sussex was a brilliant affair, and then that final was just something else. It's it's one that we'll never forget. So. Yeah, again, that was a massively, massively special moment and a well-deserved one for that Kent side. Definitely the best team in the Blast in 2021. And Deebs, I suppose the, the final highlight that I just wanted to touch upon before we maybe discuss the, the tough aspects and the future of your career heading into the rest of the season and beyond is, of course, the triple century. We have to discuss this because this was absolutely unbelievable and I'll let you describe it better than I ever could, but... In terms of reaching three figures, first and foremost, before we describe the emotions and the feelings surrounding it, what were you feeling in the the nervous 290s, I suppose, in particular, when you had Arshdeep Singh at the other end? And in what was quite a bizarre display, he started coming out trying to, to smash fours and sixes. I mean, what was going through your mind at that moment? Do you think he was going to get out? Were you a bit afraid that you wouldn't reach 300? What was going through your mind at that particular point in that game against Northampton? Yeah, there was so much going through my head. I Number one, I was shattered. Um, as I said, the schedule was manic. We had played a bunch of T20s the week before and travelled straight to Northampton. Um, so I hadn't spent any time off the field pretty much before. This is start day three now, I think. And uh, I remember being so tired that I didn't really... I was on 270 overnight. I didn't really want to take any risks. Um, and then... We lost quite a few wickets, obviously. Um, Arshdeep comes out and I, I kind of felt to myself, look, I, I chose to not take it on. Um, so I can't put it on Arshdeep, but I'd like some at least try, um, at least 
put something on your wicket and uh and yeah i think he hit the first one over mid on and i just paused in shock like what is this guy doing um after i literally told him as well i said you know the plan and he told me yes good to go then he nails it 100 meters in the air which drops just over long uh mid on and uh yeah from that point there i was panicking um but somehow he managed to stay with me i think i was on 297 or 296 and and took one thinking I could get a two at the start of the over and uh, couldn't get back. And that those five balls, I thought, you've messed this up. You're not going to get there. Um, and luckily, he somehow survived. And I was able to get to 300 off the leg spinner, uh, Russell, the next over. But yeah, there was so much going through my head, obviously being shattered. But yeah, I couldn't quite believe what was going on. And then he... he got out straight away the next ball after I brought up my 300, which couldn't have summed up the gods were on my side how lucky I was that he would get out the ball after I'd finally reach it so um yeah it's a moment I'll never forget actually it makes it a better story now but at the time I can tell you I was panicking um thinking you missed a big opportunity here but uh yeah that's how life goes so I was very happy by the end as you should be Deves because it's a historic knock isn't it I, I imagine you you already know this but just the the third player in Kent's history to ever score 300 in a match after Bill Ashdown and, of course, Sean Dixon, a former teammate of yours. So I imagine that would have been quite nice, joining Sean Dixon in that, that massive list. And in, in terms of the, the triple centre itself, I know obviously this is a, a bit of a strange question, but did you ever think you'd ever score 300? Because it, it, we don't often see it, do we, in the modern game? We do see double centuries and maybe big 250s, but... Yeah, there hadn't been a single triple century since Sean Dixon's one in 2017. So was that something which ever even crossed your mind heading into the summer of 2023? No, no, I can't say it did. I mean, when I saw Sean's, I was, me and Sean are great friends. And I remember being at Beckenham thinking like, oh, I want to do this one day. It was ridiculous. He didn't, he just kept batting and batting um, and I thought that would be cool. But no, I can't say I turned up to Northampton looking at the, wicket thinking I'm gonna get 300 runs here um but yeah I I'd been dropped earlier in the season for the Red Bull stuff and I was in great form throughout the white ball um and I worked on a few things that helped me um transition better into Red Bull cricket so no I when I got 100 I was buzzing about that but I I just think I was very hungry to do well um to kind of prove a point as well. And I, I, I didn't look too far ahead. That was the key for me. I got to 100, restarted. Um, and then I think the biggest moment was losing a few wickets around the the second new ball, I think. Um, I was on about around 150-ish at the time. And um, I would have normally just tried to have gone berserk like Tawanda did, Tawanda Mayeye, but we were suddenly 3-4 down Um before Cox came in and that really had to I really had to take stock and and play for the team there and that really helped myself because then I was just back normally got to 200 um, and then he won't mind me saying this but luckily Coxie got out because he was starting to reverse hit and do some ridiculous stuff and I was about to try and join him um, and then he got out and I kind of refocused into the bowling all-rounders so and then, yeah, I kind of wanted to bat through the rest of the day, got to 250 and thought, blimey, I'm I'm not far away here. So stayed not out towards the end of the day. And then, yeah, my phone was blowing up and it was all about the 21 runs, uh, 29 runs needed the next day. Goodness me, what a moment, an, an incredible moment. And again, looking back on the summer of 2023, it will be one of the standout moments absolutely a triple century and one of the very highest order and in terms of of your phone blowing up the next day and obviously all of the the attention surrounding that Debs, I just wanted to ask in terms of your family and friends what was their reaction like to you lifting up that bat for the third time in the same game and becoming Kent's third ever triple centurion yeah it was unbelievable I've never had anything like it to be fair um yeah, I, even my dad, the biggest cricket fan, my biggest fan, and my family friend, they were in shock. And they, they said, you're good enough, you can get double hundreds, blah, 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 which I'd never got um, in the championship. And 
yeah, they even they were kind of in disbelief, like that was ridiculous. Um, and I, again, when it when it's me batting out there, you don't really know what you're doing other than just reacting to the ball and and watching the score go up. So no, it was a great it's a great period for my family and friends. Um, I know they were. They were really happy with how it went and um and yeah they were i'm sure gloating in it as well like i was for a little bit but uh yeah i think in a weird way like i touched on before it i got it from a lot of people like see we knew how good you could be and it's a weird kind of like thing that i get a lot of the time but um yeah i i guess i know sort of the talent i have and was able to to produce that day and um no my family loved it friends were all all buzzing for me as they should be because it was just a wonderful knock it really was deeps and without sounding too profound with this particular question you mentioned almost the self-doubt and the i wouldn't say lack of belief but maybe the the tentativeness of scoring those big scores in the past and the fact that you hadn't scored a double century for example in the county championship maybe that's was playing in the back of your mind but a bit like that century against Australia, do you think this could be a watershed moment in your county cricket career? Because a triple century is absolutely massive. You've now proven not only to yourself, not only to your teammates, but the entire circuit that you've got these massive scores within you. And of course, you followed up with the 150 in the One Day Cup as well. So do you think it has given you an extra layer of, of assurance, self-confidence, self-belief to take with you into the, the rest of not only this summer, but of course, the rest of your county cricket career? Uh, yeah, to a certain extent, um, I believe so. But at the end of the day, it comes back to taking it ball by ball. When I get out in the middle, um, I can't bring last game to play to play against Knots on the weekend. Um, but yeah, it 100% gives me confidence to know how well I can do. And once you've done something, you can always do it again. So from that perspective, yeah, it's given me a lot of confidence, as it should do. Um, but yeah, I think the biggest confidence I have is the process of doing it and hopefully I can continue that. I've been in great form and I'm I'm hoping it lasts for the rest of the summer. Um but you can never you can never always succeed. So yeah, I, there will be more up and downs for sure, but no, I'm really really happy about how that went and um I can't speak for other people in terms of how how they rate me, but um yeah, in terms of myself, I know if I stick to the processes, stick to the things, and uh, be be ruthless, that that I can not necessarily get triple hundreds again, but score score some very big scores and uh, and keep being consistent and um, put yeah put my name out in lights again. And that's all you can do, isn't it? Because those big scores, as we mentioned right at the start of the podcast, those are your currency, those are the thing that get you on the radar, that put you in the national spotlight and put you in the the hats for England selection as well, as we'll probably discuss in the concluding segment of the podcast, Debs. But just one final thing I wanted to touch upon before we discuss the future and we look ahead to the rest of this summer is, of course, the tougher moments because cricket's a funny game, isn't it? We mentioned about all those wonderful centuries, the, the victory in 2021, and this monumental triple century, but not every game is going to go that way. And even though they're the highlights, they're the things that we remember, there's so many difficult moments that almost line the background before those things come to light. So in terms of your toughest moment at Kent, what do you say that's been today? Is there one particular moment, one particular season or one particular game which stands out to you above the others, per se? Um, there's probably been too many tough moments. There's been a lot of good moments, a lot of bad. I would say... Um, 2017-18 was my tougher moments. Um, I did very well in white ball cricket there, but I was on a. I felt a trajectory to play for England around that time. Um, was in the England Lions doing quite well. Um, it was around the era of the first sort of Duckett and Jennings kind of Hamid. Um, and yeah, I really felt in a good place there and and struggling in red ball cricket in 17 and 18. Um, yeah, I, I found that quite tough. Um, especially knowing the player I could be and the numbers I was putting up weren't it wasn't acceptable um, for for reasons I've explained but I'd say that that was a very tough moment and then yeah probably um, on on personal notes probably a few in the last couple of years I mean 
um, been in and out. I wouldn't say in and out of the team, but um, I've I've had a few drops in the in the Red Bull team, which I mean, no one's immune from. Even the best players in the world get dropped, so there's no difficulties on that. But I think just I needed to be more consistent, especially in the Red Bull format. Um, and hopefully, I've found something. And like I say, nothing's guaranteed, but a lot of it was sometimes over tinkering or or trying too hard. So. No, hopefully I've found a happy medium where I can I can still give it my all, but accept what happens as life, and um, and yeah, move forward and try and be the most consistent player I can. But yeah, I'd say probably seventeen eighteen was my toughest period, but um, that's enabled me to be the player and not just that the person I am, and I would never take that back um, for anything. And um, it's definitely put me in better in in a good stead, and and yeah, it's it's made me the person and the player I am today because I believe I'm the best I've ever been. And, um, and yeah, that that's all I can do. I can't control um, what's going up above the chain or the fact that England are the best team in the world in Whitewood cricket. Um, so all I can do is try and score runs for Kent and uh, keep putting my numbers up. Absolutely. It's about controlling the controllables, isn't it? If you're putting everything in place to make yourself successful, if England come knocking, great. If not, though, at least you're putting yourself in the best possible place to achieve those goals. And of course, replicate these performances for Kent, as I imagine the, the Kent fans tuning into the podcast will be hoping will continue heading into the rest of this summer and, of course, the years beyond. And I suppose touching upon that, Dave, just to conclude today's episode of the podcast, an absolutely fascinating episode. I have to say, I've really, really enjoyed this one. But in terms of the future, I know you're very much a person who lives in the present. And I don't think you've got many massive aspirations and goals aside, maybe, from England, because you want to maintain composed. You want to maintain in the present here and now. So in terms of the rest of this summer and, of course, the years that follow, what are your aspirations? What are your goals? What are your ambitions? What are your dreams, I suppose, heading into the rest of this summer and, of course, the years beyond? Um, yeah, I think as you touched on, I, I try and take things day by day, but everyone needs a goal or something to strive for. And I think mine is to win as many games as possible for Kent and, uh, try and get back competing for trophies. Hopefully it starts by staying in division one, um, for the back end of this year, but yeah, try and win as much as possible for Kent and, uh, give the fans some good memories and also selfishly to score as many runs as possible. Um, I've enjoyed parts of the summer too much. Um, and it's just reminded me you can, however, I got that 300. I think I laugh about it to myself. It's probably the most low key 300 ever. Like I ran 190 of them. So my hamstring blew off the following game. Um, I couldn't have tried harder for every single run. I I think I hit one ball in the air um that wasn't a pull shot off the spinner and for me that in this world of baseball in a way that that kind of gets me going um just batting in a low risk manner I know I can play shots and be good in white ball but yeah for me I I just want to score as many runs as possible for Kent and whoever else going forwards um and yeah see where I can reach to I can't control higher honours I'm I'm 30 now so it's not the youngest of ages um, to be pushing for higher honours, but and there's there's a lot of depth there for England. But yeah, for me, all I can do is try and score as many runs as possible for Kent, and um, and yeah, that will bring me a lot of happiness for sure. Well, Deeb, that is wonderful to hear, and obviously, do not let those England aspirations ever go, because life's funny, isn't it? Let's face, it. I mean, look at Joe Denley. Joe Denley for years, he had obviously been in that England setup in years prior. But that return in 2019 for a lot of people came almost out of the blue. But the reason why that came in the first place was because of his performances. He put himself in the shot window. He got a volume of runs. He put into together some consistent performances. And ultimately, that's what led to him being selected. I think back to someone like Adam Vogers. Adam Vogers for Australia made his test debut at 36. 30 is no age whatsoever. So keep that goal well and truly in your mind because who knows life is funny anything is possible so Deeb's all I'll say to conclude today's episode of the podcast is keep up the good work and obviously myself and everybody associated with the Counter Cricket Podcast are wishing yourself and Kent all the best of luck 
heading into the rest of this summer and beyond because I think I've made it quite apparent in today's episode, but I've been really impressed. I really have. If you keep up this run scoring form, if you keep on putting in these good performances, who knows? Even if it's not higher honours, you'll achieve many great things for Kent and that's all that you can really ask for heading into the future. So, Debs, that is basically it for today's episode of TCCP. It's been an absolute roller coaster. I've absolutely enjoyed every single second of it. And before we say our final goodbyes for the recording, have you got anything to plug or promote? Any social media channels, websites, businesses, anything like that? No, not particularly. Um, my my back of the bat sponsors Prospect Tree Mortgages. So anyone who, who needs a mortgage, go and check them out. But um, no, other than that, I just thanks a lot for having me on the podcast. Really enjoyed it. Um, I always enjoy these kind of things, just going back through our career. As I've said, I'm a very present person, but it's always good sort of going back through the journey. And um, no, I really appreciate coming on the podcast and, and crap, congrats for what you do as well. Been a massive fan and always following. So um, no, a really special thanks for having me on. Well, Deebs, honestly, it's my pleasure, mate. It really is. And you're always welcome back on the Counter Cricket Podcast in the future. It's been a wonderful discussion. It was a long time in the making. It really was. But honestly, I've loved every single second. So it's definitely been worth it on my end. And glad to hear that you've enjoyed it as well, mate. But that is essentially it from us two here at the Counter Cricket Podcast for today's episode. To each and every single one of you wonderful listeners out there, thank you ever so much for tuning in. And as always, guys, we'll see you on the next one.